Hello, and welcome to another episode of Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. My name is Catherine Troyer, and as always, I am delighted to be joined by Lauren Malone. Hi, everyone. This is a podcast that's devoted to thinking about how we can take some of the, the principles of play and how we can take those principles and apply them over uh, to the ways that we think about our classes and our teaching. And today we wanted to talk about something that's, I think, actually a really critical feature of play, and that is um, rest and like taking care of one's one's mental health and how that is just as important um, in our teaching practices as is all the ways to, to successfully carry through content and things like that. So we're going to talk through some ideas for incorporating mental health into your classroom um, and into your course prep. Um, And we understand that a lot of these might sound a little fluffy or a little too kumbaya for you. So you might hear some ideas that don't necessarily resonate with you or your teaching style. Um, So don't feel like uh, you have to necessarily try all of these or incorporate all of these right away. Um, These are just some ideas and starting points for you. But we do feel that, especially given the events of this past year and what this past year has shown us, we can't afford to ignore this aspect of our lives as instructors. Yeah, I was actually talking to someone the other day about old-timey farming practices and how, you know, now with monoculture and the need to, like, produce everything all the time, we've we forget to do a really important thing and that is to let the the ground lay fallow for a little while because all of the magic is happening beneath the surface. Um, And I think there's something very similar, right? We we have to remember that um, mentally healthy practices, taking a pause, building in these opportunities, um, which don't involve pauses, but just involve um, checking in on mental health, all of those practices not only produce better thinking, but they can be themselves intellectually invigorating so that you're not having to decide, is it time for mental health or is it time to be intellectually stimulating? It's, it can be yes and. Um, and so that's that's why we wanted to go through some of these practices because we feel that there's great ways to embed this into your course so that it feels like it's um, a significant component and not something that you just kind of tack on. One of the first things uh, and you know, I have a feeling that Lauren and I on this point are, are preaching to the choir a little bit, but it is important to, to remember is that is that your mental health as a faculty member is is just as important as is the, the mental health of your students. So in trying to take care of that, one of the kind of early ways you can plan for this is to establish boundaries with your students early on in the semester about when and how to contact you. So um, a lot of us get Uh, get buried under email. And so having a specific way for your students to get in touch with you and kind of guidelines around when they should be getting in touch with you can be really helpful in feeling like you don't have to be on all the time. Um, So even if you have really good discipline, which I do not, um, and you can look and see that you have an email and not answer it, um, you still have that sort of knowledge in the back of your head, like, oh, I got to get back to that email, got to get back to that email. So if you have kind of a structure built into um, into place on what um, what communication looks like for your classroom, that can be one of the ways that it's taking sort of another load off of your mind. Uh, for me, 
we use Discord. And so if they need me urgently, then they know that they can ping me with my handle on our Discord um, page for questions. Uh, but if they just kind of need me for a random question, they can post the question on our Discord channel and I'll get to it the next day. Um, so that's sort of how, how my class works and it helps to keep the number of emails at a minimum. And also if someone does email me, I know that like they really, really need my attention. So um, that's, that's sort of how my classroom works. I've also found that um, because I use Discord now as well, specifically because of you, Lauren, and I found that um, it cuts down on the number of emails as well, because instead of getting five emails that ask the same question, and then writing an email to each of those students, or even just pausing and saying, I'm going to send an email out through T-Learn, right? Like, it's just so much easier to, to for the types of questions most students have, um, to just be able to, to have a student articulate it so that everyone in the class can see it and everyone can see the answer. This next one, I don't know if either Lauren or I should say it, because I'm not sure that either of us do it. And so I, I almost hesitate to even mention it, but I, I think that... Um, we all need to, as a university, make an active move, um, and in higher ed, to make an active move where we can create a workload that doesn't require us to make st statements along the lines of, well, if I work all weekend and I don't sleep more than five hours any given night this week, then my plan of action is doable. Um, and, and again, I know that there are periods in the semester where midterms, finals, that, that you know, priorities are sort of out of whack in terms of... Um, the, the like life portion of the work-life balance. But I, I think that we can be better about asking ourselves if I'm not able to, to do anything but work this week and I'm not able to sleep, have I built in assignments that maybe my students and I don't need to have? Um, or have I built in a week um, where we're just cramming through things that I could take that and, and disperse it out? And it actually reminds me... Um, Lauren, you were talking about the fact that your students were asking for for you to create some additional content on black history and that at one time you were like, OK, well, if I, you know, don't do anything else, I might be able to create a like two or three hour lecture type thing. But then you kind of decided a different way to do it that allowed you to, I think, have a better workload balance. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, originally the question came up because my students were, when we were going over different things in Black media, they were feeling like they didn't have a firm enough grasp of Black history to kind of make the commentary and the analysis that they needed to. So originally they asked just for a couple of lectures on Black history. And yeah, so part of it was, well, I've got all of my lectures planned out for the semester, so where do I add them? And then the the original solution was to do um, a couple of lectures that were kind of Black History A through Z and add them as supplemental material. I realized very quickly that that was going to take probably the equivalent of two weeks straight through, <laughs> working straight through. Um, so what I ended up doing is I had my students, um, I, I took away a homework assignment for a couple of weeks and I had them create a black history podcast. So I gave them a really big list of all of the things that I could think of that might be important or come up in terms of black media um, that had taken place in black history and told them they could pick whatever they wanted out of that list and to make a five to 10 minute podcast 
on that topic. So after I got through all of those and had listened to them and saw what my students gravitated towards, I knew that they kind of gravitated to the things that they were already familiar with. So I had a starting point then. Um, and from that point, I've just been incorporating a quick little five minute Black History Spotlight at the beginning of every class based on the topics that they didn't pick for their podcasts. I think what I like what I hear in that story is is a realization that I've had and that, and that it is not my my job to be like single-handedly the savior of my students right like it's not my job to give them everything um that whole like but if they don't get it in this class when will they get it well chances are first they, they will get it elsewhere but, but second um part of what we're trying to do is to to enable them to be knowledge seeking on their own right so just saying like if this interests you here's a great thing that you could read when you have time now i think in your class they need that framework to be able to have the intellectual conversations you're wanting to have in my class I need to give them feedback on their um, outlines because I'm grading them on their ability to respond to feedback. However, um, I also realize that like they don't need me to give them everything, right? Like they don't need all the feedback. Um, they need enough to have a place to work with. And then it's it's their job to, to reach out to me, to ask other people what their thoughts are, right? So I think I think creating a doable workload is remembering that you were not single-handedly responsible, the success, knowledge, or or whatever else of your students. And our next uh, kind of tip for keeping your mental health in your mind is kind of something that comes straight from that, which is remembering that you can meet course outcomes without having to grade everything. This is something that I'm especially, um, I especially fall victim to is I feel like everything that I assign my students, well, I have to grade or it doesn't matter to them. Um, but I found that like scaffolding things in where you're practicing sort of low stakes things um, that maybe work up to the final project or work up to something bigger that is graded in the class does really help um, in, in their overall kind of learning. And they don't mind those activities so much. Um, it doesn't feel like busy work to them as long as they can see it building up. And so that helps me in terms of not feeling like, all right, well, I have 20 um, miniature podcast responses to grade and then they have their Lego day. So I need to grade their group work for that. And I need to grade this and that and the other. Um, so having those low stakes things built in, but not necessarily just giving yourself a mountain of things to get through in terms of grading um, is something to keep in mind. Absolutely, it is, and something I need to start applying myself um, better. I think the last thing, and this this is the one that of the list I think feels a little bit more fluffy, right? Because it's a little less concrete. But I think, especially as we emerge out of hopefully a global pandemic at some point in our lives, um, remembering to allow yourself to enjoy your class and your students. I recently did an exercise with my students uh, where I met with each of them for conferences, each of their groups, and I asked them, what is the thing that you like or have been most excited about as far as this project is concerned? And it was very illuminating because oftentimes the thing that they liked the most were the thing they were either thinking about cutting out of the project altogether, or it wasn't the thing that they had highlighted in their um, outline to me. And so I think just taking a few minutes to align yourself and to say like, what is it you enjoy about your class and, and your students and making sure that whatever it is, the conversations we have at the start of class where we're all just, uh, you know, talking about our days, 
that you build those in, right? That you make sure that those don't accidentally happen or just organically happen, but that they happen intentionally. So allow yourself to intentionally enjoy your class and your students by taking a few minutes to, to reflect on what you enjoy so that you can make sure that you're building it into your classes. I would also add like, not to, not to be afraid of those organic moments where, where something fun happens in the class or something unexpectedly funny happens in the class, especially on zoom. It feels weird because zoom conversations and zoom classes are such a, uh, a sort of precarious thing to navigate. Um, we don't know when to come in on conversations. People interrupt and talk over each other. And it's so weird. And so sometimes it feels like if something like off topic happens or something funny happens in the chat, we can't necessarily give time to it. But that's some of the most fun that I've had over the past two weeks is um, we have our lectures on Tuesdays and our activities that we do on Thursdays. Um, and so the lectures we've been talking about movies um, and on the Thursdays we've been group watching a movie and having discussion and just the movie and them supporting each other through watching us because they were all so scared. Um, it was so much fun. Um, and talking about it and having that discussion about, you know, the, the kind of serious things um, in terms of what Jordan Peele was doing with race and class and that, but like then seeing in the chat and kind of commenting on the, the people who were saying, you know, this part had me watching through my fingers or whatever. Um, like, I think it's okay to take a moment and acknowledge those those points. Yes. I'm glad you said that because I realized that it made it sound like I was implying that we shouldn't relish the the sort of like natural organic things that happen. I, I really meant more that we should make sure that we don't just let ourselves only experience the goodness when it happens. But but I think that's such a good point and, and one that I've been trying really hard this semester to do a better job of because you're right, it being over Zoom makes it so much harder, uh, but not impossible. So if those are the things that, that we want you to keep in mind about your mental health, because, you know, the the adages, right, that you, you put on your um, mask, if a plane is descending, you put on your mask before you assist those around you, right? Like you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. Um, if, if those are the things you need to do for you, then I think there are things once once you're in a good place that you can start doing um, for your students. And the first one is actually just working on the syllabus. And, and there are some really easy ways that the syllabus can indicate to your students that you value their mental health. And one of the simplest ways um, is to list services on campus, mental health as well as basic needs services. And I've started, um, I have a flyer that I, I now put on T-Learn instead because I I felt like it got a little buried or lost in my syllabus because my syllabus is already a little lengthy. Um, but I think your students need to know, like, this isn't something they have to look up or investigate on their own. This is something that you want them to know is, is part of s potential success in this class or that you're supporting them. Um, and it sort of destigmatizes de things, but it also just helps them know that mental health is a priority to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that depending on where you are, we have people listening from different places, but um, sometimes you have more or fewer basic needs services on campus. Um, one of the schools that I worked at, we had like a food pantry and a clothing distribution thing, and there were um, services for students who were unhoused and those sorts of things. But I realized that not every campus has that, but 
if you do want to go kind of the extra mile, you can do a quick Google search about where those things are around your campus. And so even if it's not necessarily basic needs services that they can get, you know, right here, um, again, just letting them know and being a resource for them in terms of where they can find those things can be helpful too. Um, and another thing for the syllabus is humanizing your accommodation statement. So a lot of times we have sort of boilerplate statements that we have at the end of our syllabus um, and we don't really think about them because it's the stuff that we have to put in every year. So the stuff on attendance and the stuff on, you know, um, the finals policies and those sorts of things. Um, and because we use them so much, it's easy to sort of forget about them when we're revising the syllabus for, you know, course content and the readings and, and those sorts of things. But if you really take a second and look at your, your accommodation statement or your student success statement, whatever it is that you have, a lot of times they can be really, really bland and sort of um, student accessibility services or disability services has XYZ, please fill out the accommodations form and bring it to me as soon as you can during the semester, that sort of thing, um, which it's fine. It's there, right? But you will be amazed at how much more comfortable students are in terms of going to you and, and bringing up the things that they need when you just say, hey, um, in the spirit of universal design, these are the things that I've kind of done to design this course. I realized that everybody has, you know, different accommodations that they need. Um, so if you need to talk to me about those, please do so as soon as you feel comfortable in class. Here's what we have on campus for student accommodations as well. What I think is, is key is, is the empathetic nature of what, what Lauren described, right? That she's making herself be a resource. Um, I used to create very contracty um, style uh, syllabi in part because, you know, when I just started out teaching, it felt like a shield that kind of would protect me. It also felt like a shield that I needed, honestly, as a as a young um, adjunct female instructor. Um, but increasingly, as I've done research on syllabi, um, as I've begun to think more about pedagogy from a play perspective, I realized that, you know, really a syllabus is more like the instruction manual, right? Um, and and to that end, it should match match who you are and the persona you want in the class. Um, and so if you're trying to build a, a persona that is one of, of being accessible and is one of, of empathy, uh, I think it only makes sense to humanize that aspect of things. The other thing, and this is, again, a best practice that I'm not always... Um, good about adhering to myself. This entire podcast is just us dragging yeah. ourselves, basically. <laughs> it essentially is. It really is. It's just the same. And the thing we'll do next semester, um, but is the uh, developing a course that doesn't try to accomplish everything. And I'm particularly guilty of this in my first iteration of any class where I'm like, this semester, they will learn all of it. Um, but I, I think that, that, again, the evidence conclusively shows that it is not an effective method of teaching and or learning to try to pack in more than can be processed using things like space retrieval practices, um, metacognition, things like that. Like there is actually a threshold. Um, and I think a lot of classes get unfortunately a little too close to that threshold um, or just flat out cross it. And so while it may feel like cutting down or reducing, which many of us have done uh, as a pandemic practice, may feel like a concession um, in actuality, I've had 
faculty tell me time again, and I'm sure you have too, Lauren, that like that's actually something they're going to continue adopting because they've realized that things have gotten deeper and, and richer um, because they haven't tried to like pack everything in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that the other thing is it kind of goes back to what you were saying about realizing that you are not responsible for giving students everything they need in this particular class and keeping keeping that in mind, but also thinking about um, the, the specific the specific things that you really want students to know, like what do you want them to keep, right? And so one of the things that was hard for me was I felt like I wasn't making enough connections in terms of how black pop culture kind of spreads into wider pop culture. Um, and I started feeling better about that when I was reading and listening to my students' podcast responses because they were already doing that. So it was one of those things of, okay, I don't have to develop this course in a way that I'm holding their hands through everything because they're getting what they need to get. Yeah, so keeping that in mind is super important. Um, if we move from kind of course prep into what we're doing in the class, um, one of the suggestions for kind of keeping mental health at the forefront is um, actually addressing it. Um, so in your class, having a moment of meditation or reflection time. Um, now I understand that meditation is one of those things that sort of stops people in their tracks. Everybody has sort of a different sense of what that word means. Um, and not everybody is going to want to do meditation, right? Um, and so there are guided meditations that you can play on YouTube if this is something that you want to try. But also keeping in mind that not every student is going to be comfortable kind of sitting quietly for two minutes and relaxing and, and thinking about their day. Some some of us can't turn our minds off like that on the on the spot. So um, so meditation might not work for your class, but what can work for for your class that kind of gets to the same um, same idea is building in reflection time. So uh, a point um, in the class period where you ask them to stop and think about a couple of specific things um, and just write um, or just, uh, you know, come up with a few different things on a Jamboard, on their own personal Jamboard that they're feeling about the lesson or feeling about the class as a whole or kind of how they're relating to the content, that sort of thing. And building in this time can kind of slow things down as well. So it doesn't feel like we're going content, 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 content. Okay, here's your assignment, right? Um, or content discussion, 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 and everything's just moving at a really fast pace. It gives the, uh, the introverts or the people like me who needed second to kind of get our ideas together time to actually get our ideas together before the next part of class comes up. Um, so this can be really helpful. Yeah, and I won't lie. Um, I asked I asked Lauren to cover the the meditation part because that's never worked for me uh, either as a student or or as an instructor. Um, I I do it and I do mindfulness exercises on my own as a human, but I I've never found it. I've always found it to be a little like disingenuous in the classroom, or it's just felt strange. Um, but what you are talking about that is is so key is that um, we need that time to transition mentally into a space um, we need time to reflect on something that's happening that may be really profound or just may have been a lot um, and so it could be something as simple as you know giving them like a writing exercise at the beginning that's just like what do you need to do to transition from what you were doing before 
you came to class to to be prepared to be in class, right? Like there are lots of ways you can do it, but I I have yet to see it be um, something that hasn't enriched the class when I give that moment for reflection. I was just going to add to um, the meditation part. I don't do that in class. Um, I, I think I'm right there with Katie on it feeling a little disingenuous um, or, or just I don't feel qualified to run that for a group of adults that I just met <laughs> at the beginning of the semester. Yes, I think that's a good way of, of putting it. Uh, but one of the things that I did do last uh, spring when um, COVID shut everything down was when we went online, I put on meditations for the week. Um, on within the uh, course materials on our learning management system. And it was one of those things where it was like, you can do it if you want. This isn't being graded. This isn't anything. I just think we all need a little bit of breathing space. Um, so if you do teach um, a class that is in any way asynchronous, or even if it's synchronous and you just want to add this to your learning management system, that is one way to do it too. That kind of keeps it at the forefront of students students' heads and um, and keeps them thinking about it. The um, One of the easiest things that, that I know we've all been struggling with, but that I think we need to remember to do intentionally um, when we return to in-person, but also as we continue to teach remotely or, or in hybrid form, is to just talk to each other like human beings <laughs> for the first couple of minutes of class. It has been so delightful to to listen to my students do that um and and to incorporate the ones so it's, it's my students in class that will start it but they'll incorporate into the conversation the students that are joining us remotely and and that it sounds really silly um but first it shows that you care when you ask things like you know um do you have exciting plans for the spring break that we currently don't have or you know whatever it might be um but like you know it, it just it makes a difference it's a tiny thing but it's an incredibly important one um and it's one that I sometimes struggle with as an introvert because I really care about my students and I and I'm really genuinely interested in their lives but I'm always like I don't want to be that like creepy older person that's like hey there kids <laughs> um <laughs> like Hi, fellow youths yeah I'm so worried that that's how it's going to be interpreted but that's not how they ever interpret it right um they they really appreciate it uh and that builds the bonds that that I think are important um I think you can also use in class time too and this is going to be unsurprising to play right um I think that one of the best ways to build in mental health is is to encourage students to to remember that what they're learning is significant, um, but that there's joy in that. And so play can be taking time to create something. So you could have them create a model of how they understand a topic. So um, that Lauren's example with like the Lego day works really nicely, but if you, if you don't have the ability to devote a whole class to that, it could be that you ask them to create a visualization of course themes. So what would it look like if they were to create um, a, a mind map, like what colors would they choose? What shapes would they choose? Um, anything that allows them to engage in a creative form of analysis, not only does that unlock, a, I think, an often neglected aspect of, of critical sort of inquiry, but also it feels refreshing uh, because this, again, goes back to the idea that this is a mentally healthy practice that is intellectually invigorating. So the more you can build in those moments, you don't have to be creative or feel you're creative. Everyone is creative. You don't have to feel that you're a creative person or that you're a creator to still ask your students to creatively imagine 
something as it pertains to the class. One of the things that has delighted me the most that we've done in class is when we got together for our discussion of the movie Us, I had them do hashtags at the beginning of the discussion. So I put it up on poll everywhere as a word cloud um, and just said, make a hashtag for your knee jerk response to us. And the hashtags were delightful because like some of them were definitely things like Lupita came to slay, right? Um, but some of them were, you know, their knee-jerk responses in terms of, oh, this was intense. I was watching through my fingers, you know, hashtag Dr. Malone, why would you do this to us? Those sorts of <laughs> things. Um, but then some of there are a couple that were like trying to incorporate some of our critical frameworks, which is really hard to do in a short, concise hashtag. Um, so I think that kind of goes to what you're saying. Like it's this moment where they can kind of play and get their feelings out and and but it's still really really intellectual and really tied into what you're doing and it was a perfect way of moving us from um from kind of uh coming into class right away into what we were discussing into the more serious things we were discussing because we did that and then i put up the um the poster the one of the promo posters for us that has the normal family and then the doppelganger family all in red um, and ask them, who are you rooting for? Be honest. <laughs> um, there were a surprising amount of people who were rooting for Pluto the whole time. <laughs> and we, uh, we had right. to talk about that, which was wonderful. So, you know, it moved us perfectly into that discussion. Yeah. So it works great as a transition. It also works great as a moment to, to make sure that you're aligning things, right? If everyone is, is visualizing this thing that you're talking about, um, as being all these disconnected bubbles, but you have been building this like masterpiece where everything is connected, you can be like, hey, how can we create dots then, right? So I think it's just, it's such a lovely way um, to get them to move from enjoying something to critically thinking about something. Uh, and that's, we can't undersell that. A couple of things we can do in terms of out of class sort of uh, practices. Um, one thing that has really been kind of, interesting for me is just keeping an ongoing list of favorite things. Um, and so obviously, especially if you're adhering to some of our previous statements about not trying to cram everything into one class, um, we're not going to be able to talk about everything and we're not going to be able to get to everything the students are excited about or curious about. Um, and so for me, since I use Discord, I have a channel that's just dedicated to further discussion. So if you didn't get it in during class, you can keep talking about it on Discord. Um, or I also have a channel channel for just Black pop culture stuff that's happening right now. And I've had students who like found extra lectures that are happening at other schools that are free to attend. I've had students find like um, concerts or they put up the next verses that's going to be up um, on Instagram and stuff like that. So um, just other ways, <clears throat> other ways of them engaging, uh, but also keeping up with sort of what they are interested in too. So um, we didn't get to have our unit on TV because of the snowpocalypse. Um, so a lot of it was like, here's the stuff that they're watching right now that ties into our class that they want to talk about too. So having that ongoing list of favorite things is um, another way to kind of um, keep the class in a, in a way that's not feeling like it's just looming over them but that they're contributing to it and and thinking about um the things that make them excited for the class and i want to say you do have to to realize that that 
it's going to work better for some classes, some semesters than others, right? Um, some students are going to get really into it and some aren't. And so this sounds like one of those things that it's almost like we're contradicting ourselves by saying like, but here's something else you can do, but don't forget, don't do as much. Um, you know, this needs to be like a, a low effort thing on your end. You create the channels, you let them run wild. Yeah. And if it, if it flourishes, it flourishes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but it's just about like, again, reminding them all the magic that's happening outside of, of class that feeds into the things that are happening magically uh, in the class. Another outside of class thing is just a mid-semester check-in. I know that most of us do this um, and we all do it in different ways, but it can be something as easy as a quick Google form that you send out saying, hey, here's the stuff we're doing in class. What's really, really helping you? Um, what's not helping you as much? Or maybe, hey, we're, we've got this kind of stuff coming up for your assignments. What are you most concerned about? I'll address the concerns next class. Something like that. Um, and I know that some people have like more intricate mid-semester check-ins, but just again, letting them feel like there's a person on the other side of the screen, you know, their instructor isn't a robot. So um, that you're looking out for them in terms of how they're doing in the class is really important. And also I'd like to take this time to make a shameless plug for Tigers as partners if you are on our campus because they can do really awesome stuff in terms of mid-semester check-ins too. Yes, and to continue that amazingly shameless plug, um, those of you that are at Trinity that are not participating uh, in Tigers as partners, uh, in the future, you can still ask uh, a TAP intern, student intern to, to conduct mid-semester check-ins for you, even if you're not working that semester. Um, that is one of the services we offer because sometimes it can feel a little squishy to be like, hey, everyone, tell me about what I'm not doing right. Um, go. And then students are like, no, thank you. Um, or, you know, they're, they're, it can just kind of sometimes be easier. So don't hesitate to, to reach out to the collaborative um, if that's something that you're interested in, even if you're not doing a TAP partnership. Yeah. And for those of you who aren't at Trinity, um, I know that a lot of schools have, every school calls their Center for Teaching and Learning something different. Um, but a lot of schools do have something like uh, student interns who can check in with your class or something where um, the the Center for Learning can kind of swoop in and do a little like spot checking for you. So I encourage you to find out if your campus has something like that and get involved with it. And I think it's and you know, I think it's particularly important. So I was talking to a group of students the other day about um, what they saw as the purpose of, of end of the semester student evaluations. And these these actually were our um, TAP interns. So these are students that are thinking about pedagogy in very intentional ways. And they said that as students, it feels a little meaningless sometimes because it's at the end, right? It, there's nothing to, to be done about the feedback that they're giving. Certainly not for that class, maybe for the future, but certainly not for that one. And so one of the things mid-semester check-ins do, right, is that it it allows you to, to check in in that moment so that you still have time to correct um, or to do more of something um, that you've been doing really well. Uh, but again, it just kind of helps students understand that you truly are invested in making this a successful course for them. Um, and that, to me, anytime I know someone cares about me that much, it, it's a real, like, booster to my, my mental health. Um, this is something that is not, does not work um, for every class. It does not work for every instructor. It certainly doesn't work 
once you've reached a certain threshold of the number of classes you're teaching and the number of students you're working with. But the more we can build in agency um, and and relevance to the projects that we're asking students to do so that they are actually working on projects that interest them, that they are encouraged to try something new, or they're encouraged to collaborate in non-high stakes ways that like, every time I think of group work, I just think about that meme that says, um, I want my group members to lower my casket down into the grave at my funeral so they can let me down one more time, right? Like I just, I think about that all the time and like, that's because of how high stakes a lot of group work is. But the more we can just build in these moments where they can enjoy themselves while still having these really rich intellectual conversations um, or activities or experiences, the better, because there will come a point, usually in about four to six years, where they will leave the institution and we are hoping, uh, beyond hope, that they're going to continue being truly lifelong learners they're going to continue wanting to engage in things. And the truth is, is that if we haven't taught them how to do that in a mentally healthy and enjoyable way, they're not going to do it, right? They're going to be like, well, that was, you know, the most hellacious four years of my life. I don't, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. If instead they're like, oh, it actually was rewarding. Like it was healthy for me to engage in these types of things. They'll keep doing them after they leave our classrooms. And that's, that's one of my ultimate goals, right? Is to help people once they're past um, higher education, and that can be done by creating projects that they want to work on. Um, and it can be something like, I told my students, if you don't want to write a, a story, if you would rather create a song, do a painting, project uh, or um, craft the idea of a novel link project, not do a novel, but craft the idea of a novel link project. If you would rather do any of these things, there are all, I'm willing to accept it. I have that freedom because I'm teaching a class that's creative expression that I, I don't have the the oversight where I'm required to do certain things, but you can still find ways that they're allowed to do things that they want to do, um, and that's really important. Those are ten things. Um, starting with you, going to course design, um, moving to what's happening in class, and then thinking about what's happening outside of class uh, that you can do so that it doesn't feel like mental health is one more thing that students have to worry about. Um, or that it's something that you're like, but also take care of yourself. But it's actually embedded and sort of baked into the foundation of who you are as an instructor um, and the courses that you're asking your students to engage in. So there won't be an episode in May, but we'll be back this summer. And what we're doing is a read along. So we're going to be reading the novel Dear Committee Members by Julie Schumacher. And we'll release a part of the read-along every second Friday of every month. So the first episode of our read-along will be released on June 11th. So if you'd like to read with us, feel free to grab the book and we'll be reading the first 65 pages for the first section. Yay! I'm very, very excited to do this. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And if you are a Trinity faculty member, please don't hesitate to reach out to Lauren or I if there's anything we can do to help you, uh, pedagogically speaking. Thank you. Thank you.